Coming up next on the Cultural Connections Podcast, examining cultural connections through an educational lens. We'll be joined by Pat DePillo, World Language Department Chair for the town of Falmouth, Massachusetts. This episode is being recorded live on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. This is the Cultural Connections Podcast. And good evening, everybody. My name is Brian Ives, and I am the producer and host of the Cultural Connections podcast. Before I begin today with and introduce our guest, I want to remind all of our viewers that we are recording this episode live on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. This episode is being live streamed on on three platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Therefore, if you have a question you'd like to ask our guests this evening, you can comment below on whichever platform you're watching, but keeping in mind that I am monitoring one feed at a time. So if you're on Facebook right now, we'll be monitoring that for the next 15 minutes, followed by Twitter and then ending with YouTube. Uh, Without further ado, our topic this evening is what the title of this podcast of our show is, Cultural Connections, but we're looking at it through an educational uh, landscape, an educational lens. And joining me via Zoom for the podcast is Pat Tapillo. Pat is the Foreign Language Department Chair for the town of Falmouth, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Brian. Um, these days, we refer to uh, ourselves as world language teachers and world language department chairs because um, the word foreign sends a the wrong message because it means that it's something out there, and we like to think of the global you know world as being connected. Interesting. Good to know. Well, what I do with every episode is I always ask our guests to uh, give a little bit of a brief background about themselves. So, can you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself to begin with? Uh, sure, I can. Um, As Brian mentioned, I'm the World Language Department Chair for the Falmouth Public Schools. And if I roll the clock back, uh, I began, my interest in world languages began uh, in elementary school when I uh, took French on TV with Madame Slack. And um, I proceeded to go to Girls Latin where I studied Latin, French, and then at BC, Spanish, and then I picked up some Italian when I traveled and li- and worked in, not worked, I'm sorry, traveled and studied in uh, Rome and in the south of Italy and also studied in Spain. And um, it, things just kept, I just kept continuing to um, absorb more and more language and more and more of its culture by travel, traveling so many, to so many uh, different countries, uh, not only in Europe, but in the islands and South America and Central America, throughout the United States, Hawaii, Canada. Um, and then at some point, uh, I was ready to assume um, a role as a leader in a, a department and helping teachers help students um, to uh, learn and not only to learn, but to enjoy world languages. Um, I um, am, aside from MAFLA, which we will talk about later, I am, I guess we call ourselves co-presidents of MFLA. That's the um, Eastern Mass. We still have that 
uh, foreign, uh, the F stands for foreign in our logos, but it's quickly making its exit. So it's Eastern Mass Foreign Language Association um, or administrators, I'm sorry, that's what we are. We're all department chairs. Uh, and then I, I would say maybe eight, nine, 10 or so years ago, I was invited to become part of the MAFLA board. And so my learning uh, about a language and everything that has to do with it, I can attribute to that association because you take on different roles. And you know, initially you, you were expected to work at the conference, but you contribute in different ways. And um, I've held different uh, positions and um, each one carries with it new learning about language, not the language itself necessarily, although it could be, but um, the different aspects of it. And um, we in world language are very fortunate that this year, which is 2021, obviously, um, a new set of world language standards are being rolled out. And previous to that, our only source of curricula um, resources, materials was from 1999. I don't know how, I'm pretty sure nobody relied on them and used the actual world readiness standards, which is what ours are based on. But to show how contemporary they are, they contain not, uh, not just the four skills, but also elements of social justice, social emotional learning and cultural proficiency. So that's where, you know, my interest in, because I've traveled so extensively for, you know, long periods of time um, and, you know, have come across different colleagues who are also involved in some tangential aspects of, um, you know, it may be a different discipline, but still applicable. Um, I, you know, have learned to add to my repertoire and that's where I guess I am today. I, you know, I, I, I know, as you said, we'll get into the conference later, but that is a tremendous learning experience in many ways. Absolutely, no, definitely. And a very interesting background there. So as, yes, we're going to get into the, this conference that you mentioned in a little while, but for, starting off with just setting the general tone uh, with culture and education, specifically, obviously, to world language, um, beginning with modern day and education and culture, specifically, obviously, related to world language. How do you believe within society we are doing with connecting education, specifically, obviously, world language and culture today? Well, where as you, as anybody knows, um, and you know, I teach in, or I administer whatever it is that I do. Um, actually, I had a very, very interesting experience in a classroom yesterday and I was shocked. Um, a teacher had to go um, test and stay uh, which is terminology for she was a close contact to a student or somebody and had to go get a COVID test. And they make you sit it out just like you do when you get the vaccine for 15 minutes. 
and she, I had gone in to observe a class and um, she had to leave. So I took over. It was a Spanish one class and she had a list of vocabulary and I, you know, orally went over, como, como te llamas, como esta usted, hola, adios, all of the things, and they knew them. And I thought that was terrific. And I told them so. One student, you know, was acting up in the beginning and he was joking around about being hungry and going to McDonald's and even vaulted over a chair. And um, then I, I used the only, well, I, have a, I have a variety of language stories, but I have two of my favorite language jokes, which I told. It's a good thing she came back within 15 minutes because I was clean out of jokes. But I, I always used to tell my classes of students that uh, the what is up joke, and they used to ask for that all the time. And it's my uh, version of the evolution of language, but it takes you from what is up all the way to R2D2. And I said, you know, to the class, learning a language can be fun. So at the end of this, at the end of this class, when the teacher came back, the student said to me, thank you for this lesson. I'm like, my goodness, what did I do? I didn't do it. I didn't really, you know, teach them anything new. It just, I think I ignited the, you know, wanting to learn the language or motivated them or inspired them in some way. So I always, you know, like to say, doesn't matter what your profession is, but learning another language will connect you to people you, you know, never thought you could. I mean, 30 years ago in another district, students used to say to me, why am I learning a language? I'm never going to, I'm never going to that kind of, why am I learning Spanish? I'm never going to Spain. And I thought, and I said at 15 years old, you don't know where your life is going to take you. And so now that world has shrunk so much. You don't have to go to a different place. It's right in your own backyard. And so we're immersed in diversity of, of peoples, of languages, of cultures, of all kinds of things. And that naturally leads to equity because we're all created equal and inclusiveness. So that's my idea about, or that's my understanding of what culture really is. It's a connector. And I know for a fact, having traveled so much, that the minute you use someone else's language in their own backyard, in their country, they appreciate it far more than if you, you know, Americans typically have had uh, the rep of, well, I want a hamburger and I, you know, um, I want it now and, you know, all kinds of other things. It's just like learning a language. When you learn a language, you have to think differently. So when you're somewhere else, you have to act as they do um, and they like it when you do. So I just think that that's, you know, part and parcel of what learning a language, you can't separate, in my mind, you can't separate the language from the culture or the culture from the language. So that's, in essence, it all boils down to that. Absolutely. No, it definitely, I can hear with what you're saying on that. Um, moving along here, then my next question to you then is, we think about today, modern day, and I think a lot of it, especially with younger people, uh, is consumed with social media, which I think plays a huge role in society today. How do you, with, along the same lines of the last question, how do you believe social media is impacting the way students examine culture 
through their world language education? Um, I see, I, I guess I have to answer from the teacher's perspective. Teachers um, freely incorporate elements of Twitter, YouTube. Um, I'm not sure I've seen Instagram, I've seen texts, I've seen, um, because for example, in one um, district, the teacher encouraged students to use Twitter for uh, things that didn't relate to the classroom. In other words, she wanted to hear what, when they went to the movies, what they saw and did they enjoy it or not. And because Twitter, I'm not sure it still does have 140 characters, does it or not? I think it's been boosted a little bit to my work. Yeah, that's what I think. But anyway, that's a short, um, um, a, a reasonable amount of language for a student to produce, for example, at the intermediate mid-level. And um, well, even that's a little bit, you know, not, not as extensive as it could be, but I know what she's trying to do. She's trying to encourage, um, you know, it is part of proficiency. It's part of using the language outside of the classroom in a real way that's organic and spontaneous. Um, and not only that, but uh, when you start to get, when you start to joke around, when you start to have, you know, short little repartees with people in a language that you are studying or it is not your native language, that's when you know that you are internalizing it and absorbing it, if you have the ability to do that. I mean, it, it may take some, you know, some, some years of study, but I, you know, I really, of course, the internet connects the world. So um, it makes it so much easier to get authentic resources. Uh, we hired in Falmouth, we just hired a brand new French teacher who grew up in France. And um, I observed a class yesterday and she began with a beautiful piece of art by Poussin in a French two class. And um, she connected, it was a unit on holidays. She connected it and I won't say scaffolded, but broke it down bit by bit by bit and got to the holidays and were they religious or were they national? And then they, when the period was over, they were just beginning to look at, um, you know, how to have conversations in a dialogue. But she mentioned Stromae. Now that's a French singer. And I had no idea uh, who that was. I mean, when I studied in Spain and, and Italy, of course, we went to the, I won't say the flea markets, but we went to stores. We went to, you know, sometimes the um, vendors had tables, places, and you tried to buy pop music. And so I, I certainly don't know what's current in Spain or Italy these days, but she does because she grew up in France. And so that's, you know, that's, you can't get any more of a cultural connection than that because students are always looking, uh, you know, young people listen to music all the time and they want to know, oh, what's going on there? What, what, what do they listen to? What do they watch? What do they watch on TV? What movies do they go to? So it's just, you know, it, it's just a natural, you know, progression from, the classroom and that's when you know that you're you're really encouraging students to learn a language when they start to do that on their own absolutely no very very true i agree upon on that um and before we go further i do want to remind our viewers that we are 
recording this episode live on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Uh, we are talking about cultural connections through an educational lens. Our guest is Pat Tapilla, World Language Department Chair for the Town of Falmouth, Massachusetts. We are currently monitoring our YouTube feed. I know we said earlier at the beginning that we are going to be monitoring Twitter next, but due to unforeseen technical difficulties, our Twitter feed does not appear to be live, but we will be uploading this to Twitter and following the broadcast. So if you are watching the recorded version of on Twitter and you still have questions, feel free to comment them and we'll do our best to get those questions answered for you. Um, but on to my next question here, which uh, is looking back a year ago now, a little over well, more than a year ago, and that is to March 2020, where um, students saw their daily routines really change in an instant with this, with a global pandemic known as COVID-19. Um, at the time, when we knew there was pretty much almost a year's worth of learning online, how has this changed the cultural aspect of learning for students in the classroom when they had to take all that time, I mean, and then bringing them back to the classroom? How has all of the adjustment in a cultural aspect changed? the way things are taught with world language? Um, well, because learning a language is so such a spoken skill, and that's what we call it, interpersonal communication. Um, you can imagine how that was short-circuited, I guess is the right word. Um, in a hybrid, you'd have students in class, and then that cohort would flip-flop back and forth one week they would be, uh, cohort A would be in the building and the next week they would be home on Zoom. Um, as a matter of fact, one of our presenters has as a title for her workshop, Roomies, Zoomies and um, Lessons Learned from the Pandemic. Uh, so um, students on, and then cohort B would be in the building and cohort A would be at home. And then the next week, cohort B would be at home. Students were really reluctant to speak on, in, in, um, on Zoom. In other words, and so sometimes you'd see black screens. I, you know, you don't know if they're there. You don't know if they're not there. Um, but teachers, if you ask any teacher in any I wouldn't even say in this country, in the world, uh, what they think of hybrid teaching, they'll all say, no, absolutely not. Well, because it, it, you know, the workload for them was intensive. So what we have to do now is pick up the pieces of all of that. And as any teacher knows, you meet students where they are and bring them forward. So um, luckily I wrote, um, a grant and received a DESI grant and purchased um, a lot of proficiency testing that we'll use for uh, as final exams this year. And te my teachers know that the goal is to pump up the interpersonal speaking in the classroom. Um, I don't wanna put undue pressure on them because the data that we get from the final exams is strictly to, for analysis and to inform our practice. Although I'm not, you know, I say that on one hand, but on the other hand, I'm sending them to conferences where there's a lot of interpersonal speaking techniques. And um, so that they will be able to increase their skills and 
you know, in, in, in their, and through their instruction, um, begin to, um, you know, maybe double up on, and I don't know how it's gonna work. I've just started to go into some classrooms to observe and I observed a terrific brand new French teacher yesterday. Um, but, uh, and I, uh, because I took a, a, a Pearl Institute course three or four days this past summer, I'm using a coaching um, and feedback model. You, usually I would check off on the observation expectation, 90% plus use of target language. And this time, this year, because of that model, I'm going to ask teachers, what would it look like in your classroom? If uh, this is presuming, you know, assuming that they, they are not using 90% because they don't have the, I know why, I think I know why they don't. And I'm gonna ask them to tell me, but I'm pretty confident that they're trying to explain, you know, sophisticated or complex grammar points that students aren't ready to comprehend because they haven't had enough input from all along. And that usually tells the teacher, well, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be speaking the target language, but yes, they should be. They just should be trying to think of other ways as this teacher did yesterday by using a lot of gestures. Right. Or I don't know if you can see this on the screen for cooking and for, um, you know, uh, I don't, she did all kinds of things. She could have been a mime. I, I thought she was terrific. So um, I'm hoping my, due to my efforts and due to their efforts that, you know, speaking improves. And we, when we look at the data next summer, we'll see if it does. And if it doesn't, then we'll go, go from there. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a never ending uh, endeavor. You never stop you know, trying to improve and trying to do better and better um, through all, all kinds of, you know, both them and myself. So we do, have a, we do have a supportive environment in that the superintendent is, you know, extremely behind world language and wants a K to 12, you know, sequence, articulated sequence. So, you know, it helps to be in a, it helps to, it helps to be in a supportive environment too, because you're, Otherwise, you're swimming upstream and, you know, not getting anywhere. Right. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, so for the second part of the of the podcast this evening, we're going to be talking about the, this, the conference that you alluded to at the beginning uh, that you are planning and that you were putting together. Um, and why don't you first give us a little bit of background about this conference? Wh who is, where is this, how is this, who's hosting this conference specifically? Is there, I mean, and, and all of the, those details before we get into a little bit more details in the specifics of the conference? Well, ho hosting is MAFLA, or do you mean it's virtual? It's totally virtual. I refer to MAFLA, that's what you mean, yes. It's totally virtual, which is something that is, talk about foreign, talk is really um, not my forte. Uh, I, you know, the people do things for a reason. I'm a language teacher because I, in those days, you know, going back to the, somebody, one of the students in the class yesterday said, I said, I was like, I don't know, ancient history or something. They said, well, you're from the Paleozoic age. I'm like, oh. I'm like, well, um, I know what they meant. I'm like, no, not that far, but just, you know, um, um, so uh, I forgot my train of thought. 
Uh, you wanted to know who hosted. So, okay, so um, technically, uh, you know, I can memorize up a storm. I can repeat what I hear, but technically, I, 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 I can't. Uh, if I told you, you know, I have to bring, uh, when I want a language, a language lab schedule, I have to bring it down to the IT people who, you know, come up with it in about, I call it five seconds to success. It took me weeks with charts all over the board trying to make with chart paper. I, I don't, I, I do have a math mind, but it's not that kind. So right. I think that's an analytic, you know, ability. Um, so it's totally virtual and MAFLA, which is the Massachusetts Association, Massachusetts Foreign Language Association, and we're working the foreign out of that, um, is really the sponsor of the whole, you know, the organization is the impetus for the whole, it's a yearly conference, an annual conference that occurs every fall in October, end of October, right before Halloween. Okay, um, well, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess my, my next question to you here is let's talk about the idea of, because I guess every year, as it's clear, as the conference has a different theme. How did you, how did you come to choosing the theme you have for this year's conference? Um, well, that is due to a published paper um, with my colleague, Jane Ives, uh, in the International Leadership Journal called Pathways to Global Leadership. And that, that was a while back. But, you know, I was scrolling through the yearly conference themes of, I don't know if it was Actful or Nectful the other day, and I noticed that Nectful, I think it was Nectful, <laughs> in 2016 had intercultural competency as its theme. So in other words, when the regional and when the national conferences start to call attention to something that you know sends a message. Now I automatically thought, okay, um, how can I make this a theme? And I tried to play around with a catchy little phrase and came up with creating cross-cultural connections. And it does have a logo. And above my desk in my office in Falmouth is a mobile that a student in French for Honors made of, it's the visual representation of Le Petit Prince. So I love mobile, mobiles and so, I went to a designer and I told him what I wanted and he came up with the logo. It's actually, it looks like uh, somebody's, well, there's nobody holding on to this. It looks like a, it is a mobile, but it, it looks like, reminds me of what a puppeteer would hold. And there's four C's instead of, you know, when I, when I look at my mobile is the, you know, the earth and the planets around it and everywhere that, you know, Petit Prince went, but um, this is just four C's, creating cross-cultural connections. So I know that the people in Glastonbury, Connecticut, when I say people, the, the district, um, has worked extensively with Manuela Wagner, who's at the University of Connecticut, and has written books on intercultural citizenship, 
and intercultural competencies across the age range, in other words, from K to 12, K to 20. Um, how do you present these things to students? And one of the things that was so, made such an impression on me was um, at one point, I don't know where I was, if it was in one of the visiting in one of the schools in Glad, I don't think it was, I think probably it was some workshop that one of them gave and they showed two pictures of houses and one was like a, um, a, a, a adobe like hut with a thatched roof and students are asked well where do you think this is and then there was a picture of an elaborate mansion with a swimming pool uh, and you know somebody who lives in the lap of luxury and students were asked well where do you think that is um, students typically thought that the mansion was someplace in Hollywood or um, and that the thatched hut was someplace in Africa well in truth I believe that I, I don't want to say where the thatched hut was from uh, because I don't want to you know give false information, but the, the elegance of the mansion was, and I can't remember what country, but that was from Africa. So that's sort of like dispelling the stereotypes. That's what culture is all about. I mean, I remember when I first started teaching and we you know, taught from Spanish books that had pictures of laborers picking bananas and that, when I think back on it, I think how horrible I mean, nowadays we, and I just saw a, a, a choice, not a choice board, but a teacher in grade eight gave this to her class to, you know, they had to get up, move around, ask one another questions. And it was, where did Ioanni Yo Cespedes come from? Who was the, who's the, um, um, you know, what's the nationality of the prominent Colombian singer on The Voice? Um, what are three ingredients of tamales? Um, just all kinds of questions, questions like that, so that students don't no longer get, you know, the negative images of people in these countries that are, you know, they have been, or we were, you know, told the third world and, no longer is that true. And that's, that's a good thing because you don't want to think of anything in that, you know, in that sense, it's, it, it's just not right. Because it, you just think of the, all the prominent actors and actresses and concert, you know, virtuosos and sports figures and everything else that come from all over the world not you know absolutely no longer, huh? no longer uh you know do you get the image of you know some poor person relegated to you know being doing menial labor in some huge farm someplace i guess that's you know so all of that comes into the cultural, you know, picture of what you, why you want to um, focus on this kind of a topic and to create cross-cultural, you're 
want people to understand how another works, lives, thinks, and they in turn, you know, need to understand what it's like to be from America. I won't even say American because that we are a melange of, you know, different cultures ourselves. True, very true. And again, I want to remind our viewers before we go further that uh, we are recording this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast live on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. We are talking about cultural connections through an educational lens. And we're joined by Pat Tapillo, World Language Department Chair for the town of Falmouth, Massachusetts. Uh, moving on here to our next question. You have a lot of different presenters that are going to be speaking at this our conference. How did you come to terms with choosing the right presenters for this conference? Um, as I said, I gotta go, I have to go rely on um, what the people in Glastonbury have done. They have all, uh, as a matter of fact, they contributed, I don't know if it's individually or, well, it's a big, it's a big district and they, it's a K to 12 system, you know, language wise. There's a lot of, I mean, the department chair is more like a, not more like, but I think even the title director is, you know, I mean, there are, she's, there's levels of people under her, like she's the director, then there's department chairs, then there's assistant. It's a whole, there's a whole different structure because she um, supervises more than 50 people, I think. Um, which could, which in some senses could be a small school, small high school. So um, they have contributed chapters to, you know, Manuela, they have a close connection there. Their Latin teachers do wonderful things with a program called Lapis. And they're all, you know, PhDs from UConn, Southern, Southern Connecticut. Um, and I just grew from there. I just based my, you know, what I, because I have the books and I looked and I thought, okay, Dory Conlon Perugini in the, in the elementary level would be good. Mark Pearsall who teaches Latin there would be good. Um, and of course, then, you know, I started to think of the national presenters like Leslie Gran, who is so versatile, she can do anything. Uh, Thomas Sauer, who is from East, is East German himself. And um, so uh, Meredith White, who's going to talk about roomies, zoomies, and, you know, lessons learned from the pandemic. Um, Kara Parker and Megan Smith, who do creative language classroom, develop all the proficiency units that we use. Barbara Barnett from Wellesley Public Schools. Um, so where are you really from? How teacher um, biases and, you know, uh, paint the picture for learning in the classroom. Uh, Karen Sasky, who's uh, advocacy chair of NEL, which is the elementary portion. Uh, Dory, I mentioned. Katrina Griffin, um, actual 2017 teacher of the year who teaches German. Um, and, Mike Travis, who heads up the curriculum review team in Wellesley and just is a whiz at how to incorporate grammar into your classroom without actually, you know, I, I tell, I don't have regular classroom students any longer, but I tell the teachers, when's the last time you walked down a street in a foreign country or, uh, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a different land 
um, and heard people conjugating a verb. You just don't, do you? Um, I, I usually re I remember telling students, well, what do you, what do you do if you're walking down the street in Mexico City or in Rome and somebody asks you a question? And are you going to go in the, your pocket and say, well, wait a minute, I have to look it up in the dictionary before I answer you? No, that's ridiculous. Right. So um, you, I, I, from all my years in language and from my association in MAFLA and having attended so many proficiency academies and core practices and MOPI trainings and all kinds of other things, I come to know who, who you know, can do what and, and why. And then we send out you know, information for um, other presenters to, you know, people who want to present. So we have 10, uh, two and three hour workshops. And then we have a series of what's called simulives. Those are pre-recorded, but there's a, on a facilitator who monitors the chat feature in case people have questions. Then we have pre-recorded deep dives, which are 60 minute recorded sessions and, and pre-recorded bite size 15 minute like if you want to teach um you know one little one strategy or one technique and um we put the word out and people have you know submit proposals and they're everything from le petit prince il est revenu which means he's returned uh there's a lot in spanish there's uh i there's some obviously in social justice and social emotional learning and a lot in cultural you know, people who are already, you know, I, as again, because I'm so familiar with the, with personnel, I know who, you know, um, is, is fluent in what particular subject. And so, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily pick them. We, they submitted proposals and they were accepted. So Absolutely. that's how we put that. That's how we put that together. That's, that's great. Um, and again, I just want to remind our viewers one last time that we are recording this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast live on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. We're recording this episode live on Facebook and YouTube. Normally, we're live on Twitter, but due to unforeseen technical difficulties, our live did not make it through to our Twitter account today, but it will still go up on Twitter. If you are watching right now on Facebook or YouTube and have a question for our guest, Pat Pillow, please feel free to comment. Right now, we are looking at Facebook but I am going back and forth within the next few minutes of both Facebook and YouTube. We're discussing the uh, looking at cultural connections through an educational lens. And as we get into our final few minutes here, my next question to you then is, how does this conference promote diversity, equity, um, and inclusion? Well, because number one, it's a cultural, um, it's a cultural uh, extravaganza. Um, and so uh, teach, you don't, as far as world language teachers are concerned, we, you're preaching to the converted when you talk about anything that, you know, we're seasoned travelers, we like to travel, we like to go abroad, we like to visit different places, we like to sample the food, we like to listen to the music, we like to read the papers, we like to, um, you know, see different sites. We like to talk to people. We, we like to live like the natives live. Um, but imparting that to students, students, it all depends. Um, you know, if you live where I do and, and um, it, which is, you know, in the city of Boston, 
it is a, a melting pot of all different, I mean, as, even as far as our mayoral election, um, you know, gone are the days when um, Kevin White and even Tom Menino and Marty Walsh were the two top candidates are um, Shell Wu and I can't remember her first name, but Asabi George. Uh, that's the, num number one, it's a woman. And number two, they're, you know, they're um, have different ethnic backgrounds. So students, you know, are diff grow up in a world that is different when they see, um, and there's so many different uh, ethnic, I think the city of Chelsea has um, people who speak 93 different languages. So if you grew up in that, and I, I went to a cosmopolitan high school. I mean, I went to school with girls, girls Latin that were from everywhere. So I don't want to say I'm uh, ethnicity, ethnic blind. I, I don't think that's the appropriate word. I, I, in other words, I'm accepting of everybody because that's what I grew up with. Um, but students in the suburbs sometimes don't experience any of that. And when that happens, um, I remember in one school district that I taught in 30 miles, um, I think Northwest from here, we had to have a cultural day. Now, why would you want to have, why would you need to have a cultural day if you were imbued in the, you know, different cultures to begin with? I don't think that exists anymore in this community. I mean, I, I know it has changed a lot, but, and so, but in, in those days, you know, that's the way things were. And so if you are still a member of a community that doesn't have a, you know, large population of other, then you have to bring that message to, to people and actually bring them out and have, you know, actually the best, the best answer to this is to have extensive immersion program, um, that's not exchange programs where students actually experience a different culture um, by you know, living in, I know the town of Weston, I think, believe, I believe sends their juniors or seniors abroad for a year, which that's pretty, that's a pretty long time. Is, yeah. for high school um, and maybe it, it might not be seniors because that's a critical year maybe it's juniors but even that's a critical year I mean you apply to all your colleges and things like that so um, but um, you know there's lots of uh, there's lots of social justice you know also has elements of diversity and equity and inclusiveness in it so does um, social emotional learning and its gender equities and I'll, you know, never mind the cultural proficiency, understanding another's way of life and thinking. So it's just all of those things. It's, you know, when you walk in a classroom, those students experience a person. And if you're not, and I'm not saying teachers do this or even have done it, but it's, it, it, the message emanates from you. So if you approach these things in a positive light and you know, have a classroom that's, there's a lot of ways to build community. And that's what we're trying to do at the beginning of this year, because we were so much apart. And that's, and that in itself is a microcosm of, you know, um, inclusiveness, we have to bring all of that back together. 
not it's not easy uh, you know i i attended an admin building meeting today where i learned just what the health office is doing in terms of tests and stay and how many students and what the procedures are and it, right. i thought it's kind of scary even even to the point where principal had to remind the administrators get that mask above your nose because we're a model for students and god forbid you you know you don't want to put yourself in harm's way so um, for all of those reasons, I think students are happy to be back in the building, and I think they're more open to, you know, learn. look at the students said to me yesterday, I was almost, I almost, I was like, well, you're welcome, but wow, I was shocked that I was only there for 15 minutes. Great. Imagine if I were there all period or all year. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And hard to believe just like that, we're reaching the end of our podcast today. Um, I want to thank Pat Tapillo again for joining us today on the podcast. And I want to remind all of our viewers that if you had a question that you would like answered that you did not get answered during the podcast today, please feel free to reach out to me directly and we'll forward on your questions to make sure they get answered. You can reach me by email at brianives at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-I-V-E-S at gmail.com. So, and also use that same email address if you have questions or comments about this episode or want to submit ideas for future episodes of the podcast. We hope you enjoy this podcast and learn something new today. For now, I'm Brian Ives, and I'm the producer and host of the Cultural Connections podcast. Stay tuned for further episodes of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Thank you again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch this episode again in its entirety on our YouTube channel. This podcast is also available on listening platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and New TV. Thanks again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast.